But what am I sharing on today? The Sabbath. But before we do that, there we go. Thank you very much, guys. I just want to let you know that on the 3rd of December, which is a Saturday morning, there's a prayer breakfast. And um, there's a couple of little flyers there if you want to grab one on, on your way out. It starts at 8am in the morning, runs through until 10. It's, um, there's no charge for it, but they're asking for a little donation. For those who go, you need to RSVP by the 28th of November, that's Monday week, and there's details of the RSVP there. It's at Carrara at CityLink Resource Centre, 148 East Lake Street. I'm sorry that you can't see all those details there, but I have printed out some Carrara. You know where the Carrara markets are, where the big, um, sun, is it the Suncorp Stadium? What's the big stadium? Oh, I suppose because it's about fairly central to people on the northern. It's it's passes all over the the Gold Coast. Yeah, yeah, it's a multi. Yeah, yeah, it's run by. It's called Beyond Gold Prayer, and um, it's all all the pastors are invited to bring their people from all over the Gold Coast. Yeah, I should have. I should have made mention of that. Yeah, so um, there's a couple of other things coming up that I'll let you know probably next next week. But it's good to be involved in some of these things. You get to meet a lot of a lot of people. Anyway, so what I want to actually focus on today is the Sabbath. Well, we haven't had a deeply theological discussion point since David talked on church history last. And um, so I thought I'd bamboozle everybody. No, not serious. I do want to talk a little bit about the Sabbath because it's, it's quite a controversial topic actually among Christians and there are of course some denominational groups of Christians who worship on, on Saturday, the Sabbath day. Seventh-day Adventists of course are well known as those who very strongly believe that the day of rest and the day of worship is Saturday and from sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday. They don't work and that's when they have their worship services and they're very much like the worship service of any other denomination. They tend not to do any work so they prepare all their food beforehand similar to the Jews although there are lots of variations on that theme. There are also Seventh-day Baptists. We've got a good friend in New Zealand who's a Seventh-day Baptist Pastor, and there's at least one Seventh-day Baptist church in Brisbane. There are also Seventh-day Pentecostals, by the way. And I don't know how many, but I know, I know that there are Seventh-day Pentecostals. So there are groups of Christians who worship on, and rest on, on Saturday. But I'll, I will address that. But my point is not primarily. I don't want to primarily focus on whether we should regard Saturday or Sunday as the appropriate day. I want to refer briefly to the law concerning the Sabbath and most people tend to focus on the Sabbath day but I actually want to talk about the Sabbath more generally. I want to mention the Sabbath year and then the year of Jubilee which happened every seven Sabbath years. I've put the scriptures up there. I'm going to read a little bit from the scriptures um, shortly. They're there just for your reference if you want to go and find where the laws concerning the Sabbath are expressed in the Old Testament, 
that's where you'll find them. The, the word Sabbath means literally rest, uh, in, in, um, in, in, uh, Hebrew. There is another word which is sometimes also used for Sabbath, and that means release. So rest and release are the fundamental ideas behind the Sabbath. And you know that I've often spoken about how we're created in the image and likeness of God and we know that after the six days of creation God rested on the seventh day. And if we're made like God then it's reasonable for us to express that likeness or that imageness in God in rest as well as in everything else that we do. So let me first talk a little bit about the Sabbath day and I'm going to use the New Living Translation unless I mention otherwise and I've only got one reference that isn't the New Living Translation. And I use the New Living Translation because it is a fairly good uh, translation but it's in everyday language that's easy for us to understand. So the original law of the Sabbath day was expressed in the Ten Commandments. Number four, isn't it? Something like that. David's nodding, so I'm right on that. Because <laughs> otherwise he'd be just going like that. <laughs> anyway, in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11, this is what we read. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock and any foreigners living among you. Nice to have a day off if you're a bullock, eh? For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. And then there's a little bit more in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 3. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of complete rest, an official day for holy assembly. It is the Lord's Sabbath day and it must be observed wherever you live. So, fundamentally, the Sabbath day was a representation of the created order. The Bible teaches us in, in Genesis that God created in six days. And at the end of the six days, the Bible says, He declared that it was good, very good, and on the seventh day, He rested. So, in resting on that seventh day, we're actually affirming the creation story. We're affirming the idea that God actually created everything in the heavens and in the earth. He created us, human beings. He created all the animals. He created all the plants, the flowers. He created all the mountains, all the seas, everything we see. As God worked over the six days, and we don't need to get into a debate as to whether they are literal days or not, because it doesn't 
change the meaning of the story. God worked those six days and he rested on the Sabbath. And so, the, the, the law of the Sabbath actually established a pattern that reflects God's created order. And it's interesting, I think, just as a bit of an aside, that as our society has moved further and further away from accepting the idea that God created, we no longer observe Sabbath. And in fact, we're working seven days a week. Maybe not each of us individually, but our society works seven days a week. And in some states of Australia, it's legal to trade 24-7. In New Zealand, it's legal to trade 24-7. I can remember going shopping for groceries just for fun, you know, after midnight some nights in New Zealand when they relaxed the trading laws, just because we could. But you see, we have around-the-clock commerce now. There is nothing in the rhythm of our secular uh, modern life that actually reflects God's created order. Now, in addition to that, of course, we can't work 24-7. It's impossible for a human being to do nothing but work. In fact, people who do nothing but work tend to die young. There's statistical evidence, by the way, that people who observe religious practice actually live longer and more healthy lives than those who don't. That's scientifically demonstrated, if you like, by research that has been published in academic journals. So, one of the purposes of the Sabbath is to reflect the created order of everything. Um, that we interact with in our daily lives. I think the other thing about it is that the purpose of the Sabbath was, if you like, a withdrawal or a release from the world of commerce and a time to spend in relationship with God and in relationship with one another. So I, I, I love the way that we do our our Sunday Connect, because we start off with, with worship and then we usually move into a time of communion. So, there's a pattern. We're focusing on God. Then we spend some time on our discussion point and, as you know, we call it a discussion point because we want people to think about it and talk about it after Connect has um, finished for the day that it's not a sermon, we don't really want it to be a one-way type of communication. And that's important, you know, because God himself doesn't want one-way communication with us. And then, as you know, we, we finish our connect with a time of community and it's not a particularly significant time. We're not here all that long. We don't have really flash food and drink and so on. But it's representative of the order of God. He wants us to spend time building our relationship with him on that Sabbath day and also building relationship with one another. That's why the idea of holiness is associated with the Sabbath and why the idea of community, which is called here in Leviticus 23 verse 3, 
that it's an official day for Holy Assembly. And Holy Assembly was never about just focusing on God in Israel. It was always about God being in the midst of Israel as Israel thrived in community. God never intended for any of us to live a solitary life. He always intended us to be in community. And so the special purpose of the Sabbath is to give us an opportunity to withdraw from the stress and the hurly-burly of everyday commercial life and to spend time building relationship with him and with one another. Remember that the promised land was actually a land of commerce. You see, we, we are made to be creative, so we are actually made to work. There's no doubt about that. And But, but God knows that if that's all we do, it's not going to be good for us. And so we have that opportunity to withdraw on the Sabbath day. Let me turn now to something we, we don't really hear talked about all that much. There's a lot of talk in the church about the idea of the Sabbath, having that day of rest, setting aside a day to come together to worship. But inextricably linked with the Sabbath day was the idea of the Sabbath year. And uh, we see that uh, enshrined in the law of, of Israel in Leviticus chapter 25 verses 1 to 7. While Moses was on Mount Sinai, I remember he went up Mount Sinai to get the, the Ten Commandments. Um, there's a bit of a joke about that actually. Um, God was only going to give him one. And in the end Jesus brought it all down to one, which one, which he, he said in, in the book of John, it's recorded that I give you a new commandment, love one another. So Moses could have had one commandment. But anyway, apparently he went up to Mount Sinai and uh, God said, Moses, I want to give you a commandment. And Moses apparently said, how much is it going to cost me? And God said, nothing. So he said, I'll have ten of them. Yeah, yeah, that's a joke. You're right, Jeanette. That was a joke. Laugh. You know, we should have a sign that says laugh, you know, clap, cry, whatever. (laughs) Anyway, they ended up with ten of them. Actually, got a lot more than that in the end. But while Moses was on Mount Sinai, the Lord said to him, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you have entered the land I am giving you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath rest before the Lord every seventh year. For six years you may plant your fields and prune your vineyards and harvest your crops, but during the seventh year the land must have a Sabbath year of complete rest. It is the Lord's Sabbath. Do not plant your fields or prune your vineyards during the year. And don't store away the crops that grow on their own or gather the grapes from your unpruned vines. The land must have a year of complete rest. But you may eat whatever the land produces on its own during its Sabbath. This applies to you, your male and female servants, your hired workers and the temporary residents who live with you. Your livestock and the wild animals in your land will also be allowed to eat what the land produces. Well, what's going on here? This is similar to six days you work and on the seventh you rest. The land works six years and rests in the seventh year. And it's scientifically proven, by the way, that that's one way of maintaining soil fertility, to, to actually give it 
a, a Sabbath year, and it is practiced on the kibbutzes in, in Israel, most of the time at any rate. But what's going on here? Well, yes, there is a scientific reason, a good reason for the land resting, but again, it's representative of God's created order. See, we've discovered other ways of maintaining soil fertility, these days by putting on artificial fertilisers and crop rotation and uh, putting in different, um, you, you do actually put in, what do they call it, um, green manure crops. There's a whole range of ways in which technology has developed so that you can maintain the soil fertility. But you see, there's so much symbolism in all this. It wasn't just to maintain soil fertility. The idea of resting the land, again, is a reflection of God's created order, how God actually created the earth and everything that's in it. But there's something else which is very important as well. Who do you rely on during the Sabbath year? You rely on God. See, God has said, in that Sabbath year, you don't plant anything. But of course, there will be seeds in the ground, won't there? Okay, there will be seeds that have fallen from the previous crop. So, there will still be something growing in the soil and God says that is for you to harvest that's for everyone in your midst to harvest and it's also for the animals to to forage on not only that didn't God say don't store stuff up before the Sabbath year that's pretty amazing isn't it don't store stuff up so what we're saying is in one year in seven we're going to have complete confidence that God will be our provider. Now actually, these days in our society it's only a minority of people who believe that God is our provider. Most people believe that their employer is their provider or that the government is their provider. Nothing could be further from the truth. God provides through the creative capacities of the people he's placed in the earth and if he didn't make us as creative beings, we wouldn't have any provision at all. So that Sabbath year was an important symbol of the way God relates to us as human beings. Well, every seven Sabbath years there was meant to be a year of Jubilee as well. So basically there was 49 years if you like of of normal commerce and then in the 50th year, there was a year of jubilee or a year of release. And this is what it says in Leviticus chapter 25 from verse 8 to 17. In addition, that's in addition to the Sabbath year, you must count off seven Sabbath years, seven sets of seven years, adding up to 49 years in all. Now the Bible's pretty good at mathematics, eh? Then on the Day of Atonement, which is a special festival in the Jewish year, on the Day of Atonement in the 50th year, Blow the ram's horn loud and long throughout the land. Set this year apart as holy, a time to proclaim freedom throughout the land for all who live there. It will be a jubilee year for you, when each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors and return to your own clan. This 50th year will be a jubilee for you. During that year you must not plant your fields or store away any of the crops that grow on their own, and don't gather the grapes from your unpruned vines. It will be a jubilee year for you, and you must keep it holy. But you may eat whatever the land produces on its own. 
in the year of Jubilee, each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors. When you make an agreement with your neighbour to buy or sell property, you must not take advantage of each other. When you buy land from your neighbour, the price you pay must be based on the number of years since the last Jubilee. The seller must set the price by taking into account the number of years remaining until the next year of Jubilee. The more years until the next Jubilee, the higher the price, the fewer years, the lower the price. After all, the person selling the land is actually selling you a certain number of harvests. Show your fear of God by not taking advantage of each other. I am the Lord. Now this is highly significant because this was a way of making sure that there was no poverty in, in Israel. And there were other verses um, elsewhere in the, the books of the law that also suggested that if you were a Jew, if you were a, a member of the tribe of Israel and you had to sell yourself into slavery, you had to actually be set free in that year of Jubilee as well. So the, the year of Jubilee, it was a Sabbath year, so you weren't able to... Um, uh, cultivate the soil so the normal Sabbath year rules applied but in addition to that you were to return back to the land that you originally owned. Now how would you become alienated from your land? It would be because you had gone into debt because um, historically uh, in Israel and in the surrounding uh, tribes if you couldn't repay a debt then you went into slavery Possibly also your children would go into slavery with you. In other words, you'd have to work off the debt. Well, in that year of Jubilee, you were released as a slave and you were able to go back and repossess the land that you originally owned. I think it's really significant here that there's even a formula for working out the price for which you can sell land. And do you know what? That's taught in every accounting and every economics class on the planet. The idea that land itself has no value except the value of the income it can produce. In this case, the value of the crops. And it says there specifically, you've got to work out what the produce of the land will be between the time of sale and the year of Jubilee, and that's the price to which it sells. That way nobody takes advantage of anybody else. And that actually is a principle which is enshrined in, in economics uh, and in accounting. For those of you who have done any accounting, it's actually the net present value um, concept minus inflation, but we don't really need to get into that. We can talk about that at length some other time. So here we are with a, a complete system, a system that reflects the created order, a system that releases us from you know, the daily grind, the gr daily grind of commerce. It gives us an opportunity to build a relationship with God and with one another. It teaches us to rely on God. It also teaches us how important it is not to exploit one another in our economic transactions because God never intended that that would be the basis of our relationships one with another. Now, as far as I know, the year of Jubilee has never been practised anywhere, not even in Israel. The last year of Jubilee was September 2014 to September 2015, but as I said, to my knowledge, it's never been, been practised. 
But you can imagine a system that actually practised all of those um, Sabbath concepts, the Sabbath day, the Sabbath year, and then the year of Jubilee in the seventh uh, Sabbath year. And uh, it's, a, it's a complete system, actually, for maintaining relationship in community, maintaining relationship with God, and ensuring that we don't exploit one another. And how far we've come from a system like that. Now look, I don't advocate that we live our lives according to Old Testament law. We live under a better covenant. So I don't believe that God anticipates or requires us to live exactly according to that law. I mean, if I was a farmer, I think I'd probably have a go at at, um, giving my land rest in the the seventh year and, and see what it does to fertility. And I think there are ways in which we really need to look at how we handle debt and so on. And those could be topics of another time. But what we need to focus on, I believe, is the idea of rest and release that's inherent in the Sabbath. Now, Jesus himself said he was Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, the law, the Old Testament law, is actually subject to himself. Because remember, Jesus is part of the Godhead. Jesus is a member of the Trinity. And in Mark chapter 2, and um, it says here, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people. You see, Jesus was getting into a bit of trouble with the Pharisees because he was doing things like healing people on the Sabbath. He was doing things like actually walking through fields and um, eating from, from the crop. Him and his disciples and they were accused by the Pharisees of breaking Sabbath because by then they had a whole set of laws which they had drawn up to help, they thought, help people actually um, keep the Sabbath. And the um, ultra-Orthodox Jews in Israel today for example, they won't cut their toenails on a Sabbath day because that's work. And they won't go more than a certain number of steps on Sabbath because that's work. So they've, they've really sort of honed it down to the nth degree, so to speak. And I don't think Jesus ever, ever anticipated that that's how the law would be operationalised. So in Mark 2, verses 23 to 28. We read, On Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Haven't you ever read in the scriptures when David did, sorry, what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. This is a profound statement. A profound statement. That God made the Sabbath, to meet the needs of the people. What do we need? 
We need to withdraw from the hurly-burly of the commercial world. We need relief from the stress of the workaday world. We need the rest. So we need it physically, but we need it spiritually as well. Because that rest reinforces for us the fact that it is God who created. When we take that rest, when we recognise God for who he is, when we spend time cultivating relationship with God and relationship with one another, that is good for us because it cements our identity as those who are created and loved and in relationship with God. So it is good for us to observe Sabbath. The purpose, as I've already said, on Sabbath, take some time to connect with God. You know, I have a friend, Dave Hodgson, I've, met, I've, I've mentioned Dave to you um, on a few occasions before. He's um, a very successful guy in business. Um, his businesses are worth about half a billion dollars at the present time. He takes a day every week away from work and, and this is a guy who's not only got a business, he's got a big ministry, it's a global ministry now called Kingdom Investors and he's a very busy fellow but he takes a day each week, he gets on his jet ski and he just rides his jet ski all day. That's how he rests and withdraws and he prays and he hears from God while he's on his jet ski. So it's not a matter of sitting under a tree and not communicating with anybody to sort of build relationship with God. It's finding that which releases you, finding that in which you can rest and focus on Him. And take some time to be in community. You know, one of the reasons why people who observe religious practice live longer than those who don't is that they tend to express themselves in the context of community. Right? They don't do life on their own. And doing life on your own is actually a recipe for a short life or a shorter life. So, um, just let me see if I'm ready to go on to this next one. Yes, I am. So, I don't advocate that we celebrate the Sabbath from Friday night to um, Saturday night. And uh, I'm not going to throw you out of Ignite Life Church if you don't let your garden go all weedy every seventh year and uh, if you don't observe the Jubilee year I don't think that's God's intention at all. <laughs> you, so your land's having a Sabbath every year. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> yeah. But I, look, there is an important idea of rest in the New Testament, however. You see, from the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And we've had a couple of discussion points focusing on that uh, over the course of this year. What did God do at the end of the sixth day? He declared that everything was good and then he rested. So it was finished. Jesus finished his work. What was his work? His work was to fulfil the law and the prophets. It's interesting to note that in the New Testament the only time we're told to strive is in relation to rest. 
So in the English Standard Version, Hebrews 4 verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. So the only, as it were, hard work we're intended to do in terms of the New Testament is to work towards resting. Resting in the finished work of Jesus. Let me read for you a fairly long passage. This is Hebrews chapter 3 verse 17 through to chapter 4 verse 11. And I want to do this because I really detest trying to build a doctrine or, or, or building a doctrine on just a scrap of scripture. I think it's really important to get context. So I do apologise that this is a longish passage, but I think it's important in order to understand what it is to rest. And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that, he would never, that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. What was God's rest? And who, who is he talking about here? Israel. Remember last week when I was talking about gratitude, um, gratitude or attitude? We, we talked about the children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. They eventually sent spies into the promised land. Ten spies came back with crook reports. Two spies came back with good reports. Everybody believed the ten. They reckoned it was all too hard. And so they actually died in the wilderness. None of of the adults who left slavery in Egypt actually made it into the promised land. They all died in the wilderness. And God said, you won't enter my rest. In other words, you won't enter the promised land. Our promised land is the rest we have in the finished work of Jesus. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. But this is good news, that God has prepared this rest, has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger I took an oath, they will never enter my place of rest. Even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. We know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day God rested from all his work. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still awaiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labours, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. 
But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fail. The disobedience here is not necessarily living our lives according to some set of commandments. The disobedience here is actually about not recognising the finished work of Jesus. When we recognise the finished work of Jesus, the fact that he fulfilled totally all of the law and all of the prophets, when we receive that, then we enter his rest. So are we going to be like the ten spies? Are we actually going to look at what God offers us and say, no, it's all too hard, and plenty of people do? Or are we going to be like the two spies who say, actually, you know what, it is a land of milk and honey. Yep, there's going to be work involved in extracting the milk and the honey, but actually we have the opportunity to rest because Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. You know, the whole of human history might have looked a little bit different if Israel had believed the report of the two spies and actually entered into the promised land at the time that God had wanted them to and actually precisely carried out his instructions in relation to actually taking the land. They didn't and human history has turned out quite differently. So the only striving we really should be doing is to enter his rest. We shouldn't be striving to receive his approval. We've already got it through Jesus because Jesus finished his work at the cross. Well, there you go. That's the Sabbath. It's not that we have to observe a special day of the week. It's not even that we have to observe the Sabbath year or even the year of Jubilee. It's something to do with the attitudes in our hearts. And we need for our own health to make sure that we do withdraw somehow from the hurly-burly of daily commerce. We do need to do that. We do need to continually remind ourselves that God is Creator. And we do need to recognise that it was Jesus who made it possible for us to enter into rest. Well, for the rest of our time, why don't we just enjoy a little bit of um, community over some food and tea and coffee. Ha <laughs> ha.